The Money Show. Shapeshifters. Tonight's shapeshifter is Dr. Morena Makwana, who is the chief executive at BioVac. BioVac is a vaccine manufacturer. It is part government-owned. It's based in Cape Town. And Morena Makwana has worked there, I think, all your life since leaving university. Qualified as a medical doctor. Uh, was was BioVac your first job? Hi, good evening, uh, Bruce. No, it certainly wasn't. And just to correct you, it's not state-owned. We partner with government, but we're not state-owned. But I no, saw, no, no, I, I saw, I, I saw I a stat the other day. Sorry, forgive me, um, yeah, yeah, Morena. I saw a stat the other day that government had a 60% stake. Please just ca- explain to me what this relationship is, and then do, let's talk about your career. Just uh, get, get that clear for me? Yes. No, absolutely, absolutely. Um, so... Um, so just to start on the percentages, um, so we have a private consortium that I lead that is that owns 52.5% of BioVac, and then government has 47.5%. So, uh, so we're structured as a PTY limited, um, just that government has a stake. So I think, you know, just think about telecom, the modern telecom, not the old telecom, where Telcom is doing its own thing. Government does have an equity stake, but essentially Telcom is free to do what it needs to do. And that's how we are also structured. Uh, was it? Was there ever a stage where government did have a majority stake? Um, not, not in okay. Biovac's time. So, okay. so prior to Biovac, there was what was called the State Vaccine Institute. Ah. Um, and that was um, the... You know, the company that, well, like, like all state-owned companies at the time, was there for about 50 years, but the, you know, the vaccines production ceased. Uh, and then when government wanted to revive it, and uh, somebody clearly had wisdom at the time, they said, no, let's not revive it as a, as, a, as a state-owned. Let's rather revive it as a private company, but with significant government shareholding. And uh, and as we know now, what's happened with a state-owned enterprise, we're very thankful that somebody had that wisdom. Uh, and I mean, does it work for you? Because it worked well for Telcom. If you compare the success of Telcom versus the success of the post office, it was once the telecommunications, uh, or it was a post office and telecommunications or tel- telecommunications and postal services or whatever. Post office is as good as dead. Telcom has got a future. Uh, and it's the model upon which SAA is being based as well with the sale to a consortium um, of private investors with government taking a minority stake. Yes, and I think even for our industry, uh, I think the same would be true. I think I'd be, you know, for anybody that, that would suggest that in our, you know, uh, high, uh, very capital intensive, high regulated uh, environment where you need to, you know, have modern technologies, you have to uh, partner with international parties. I wouldn't advocate that, you know, uh, that, that you go through the state owned uh, route. Now, when we look at other countries that have state-owned enterprises, you know, the likes of Brazil, uh, Russia, um, there was one in India, okay, China has quite a lot. But when you compare any of those state-owned vaccine uh, entities relative to their private-owned counterparts, even in those countries, uh, you can see that the private companies, um, you know, do much, much better. Uh, and I mean, just look at COVID. I mean, um, how many state-owned companies have actually developed a COVID-19 vaccine globally? You know, I mean, there's some in China, 
but you know uh, the one in India hasn't developed much. Uh, in Brazil, they're getting it um, uh, a tech transfer. So, so I think history and evidence talks for itself that um, whilst the products are mainly geared towards uh, the public, you know, whether it's pediatric vaccines or you know, like now in the case of COVID, is, you know, our industry is very geared towards public health, you know. Um, and that's you know part of the passion that we have, you know, yeah. that it has really a greater good. So the customer is you know is the public more than the private sector. There is a private sector, but I mean it's really geared towards that. But that does not necessarily mean that if the customer is more governments, WHOs, and the UNICEF, that it ought to be owned by those entities. Talk to me about your career because you go and you qualify as a doctor at UCT. I make the assumption that you go straight into BioVac. You've been there for most of your career. What what did you do between uh, finishing at UCT and, and joining BioVac? I think in the early days, uh, close to the founding in 2003. Yes. Uh, no, thanks, uh, Bruce, for that question. I must say I'm, I'm, I find myself extremely privileged because uh, the path, you know, I when I was at med school, uh, I think around third year, um, whilst I loved medicine, I knew that I was not going to die being a practicing doctor. Uh, I always had a commercial uh, mindset. It, you know, in actual fact, in my matric, I was not sure whether I should, you know, go towards BCom or I should go to medicine. You know, uh, for whatever reason, I decided medicine, and I don't regret it one bit. But um, you know, during uh, my medical school years, I knew that I needed to do something in business. But certainly vaccines were very far from my mind. Uh, you know, what was taught of vaccines at the time, you know, if it was if it was a week, it was probably a lot. You know, uh, you learned it at pediatrics and, uh, you know, and you would must just learn the, you know, the table of, you know, which which kid gets given. Um, what vaccines get given to kids. And that's, you know, that's that, that's about much that you learned uh, at the time. So when I left, I mean, when I graduated, like all uh, like all medical graduates, I went back. To, so I'm originally from Joburg. I'm a Soweto born guy. So, you know, after studying at UCT, I went back home, you know, being Johannesburg. And I did my internship at uh, what was called Natal Sprint Hospital oh, yeah. uh, in the East Rand. Um, and then, uh, oh, Egorleni, uh, I must, uh, uh <laughs> and, well, it was the East Rand when you worked there, so I, I accepted and it was I, the East Rand at the time. <laughs> I, I nodded because I spent yes. many hours at the Dalspread Hospital in the early 1990s, yeah, covering stories and stuff. So <laughs> I'm just nodding as you speak. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yes, and then, uh, so, and then Bruce, like anybody, you know, that had to do community service, you know, most of us that were born in urban areas, studied in obviously universities that are in urban areas, you know, being thrown at a rural area was not something that was very uh, attractive, as you can imagine. Even today, I'm sure medical interns just, you know, when they thought of, when they think about community service, you know, they, they go in there reluctantly. And I was one of them, I must confess. But uh, what happened is that I was thrown into a small um, town called Helbron in the Free State, which is about an hour and a half just after Sasolberg, Heilbronn in the Fee Strait. And I went there kicking and screaming like all community service people would. Um, and But I tell you, that was probably the best learning curve. So I did my community service there, and I was asked to stay on for an additional year. Um, and 
what happened, you know, and why I'm so grateful with that experience is that I went into a small town. Uh, you know, it was not a big city. You know, like any small towns, you know, everybody knows everybody. The community is so grateful, even when you just do the basics of things. But I also learned that was my first taste of many, you know, some managerial, you know, mm. experience. And what I mean by that is that halfway through my community service, my senior actually left, and he's actually a professor now at DCT. He left <laughs> to go and uh, and specialize. And so mid, you know, uh, mid uh, mid year, I found myself being the most senior person uh, doing community service, you know. And then when I was asked to stay on. For an additional year, I found myself having uh, leading uh, community service doctors that were now coming in, and I had an additional responsibility of another hospital that was 30 minutes away from Hilbron in Frankfurt, a sister hospital. So I would find, whilst I was based in Hilbron, but I would then commute and go and not not necessarily uh, uh, um, you know uh, do any clinical work, but just to oversee. Uh, some of the doctors that were there. Uh, and by doctors, it was also a little bit of dentists and physiotherapists. And and whilst in a hospital setting, you know, that sounds simple, you're a doctor, okay, you manage other doctors. But, you know, as you know, many, you know managing other people comes with its, uh, with its own dynamics and complexity. And, and I was extremely grateful for the ex- experience because, um, because firstly, I was away, you know, it could give me a little bit of breathing space to think about where I wanted to go next. It gave me managerial experience, and I also did just like a small business course with UNISA. And because I was far away from, you know, from parties and all of that, it did uh, allow me time. But anyway, in terms of then, how did I join Biovec? Uh, Biovec started, or oh, how it was formed uh, in 2003, in April 2003, that when it was actually formally. Uh, formed and my predecessor at the time, uh, Selwyn Kahanovitz, was running Biovac, and uh, you know him and his partners at the time had formed this consortium that bid and won um, uh, this bid to partner government. So what I described earlier in terms of how the equity split came, you know, uh, it came through a bidding process where there was a local consortium that was called the Biovac Consortium. Uh, and it actually bid against other companies like GSK and others from what I was told. It was just before my time. So, so Biovec was actually formed in 2003 formally. I joined only 18 months later uh, in November of 2004, and I went in purely as a medical affairs um, you know, officer. So it was really mm-hmm. not at a senior position. They needed mm-hmm. somebody to plug the gap at a medical affairs, and how that position came, and Biovec was tiny at the time, I think it was, it was less than 50 people, is that, you know, the, and and this is, you know, part of the tragic story, is that the person that I was actually replacing had passed away a year ago, who was one of the founders, together mm-hmm. with Selwyn and Martin and mm-hmm. uh, Carnot and the others, and he actually tragically died the year before. Uh, and he was a medical doctor, and so... You know, 18 months later, they then decided that, look, they still need a medical affairs person. Uh, and that's essentially how I joined Biovec uh, Got you. Bruce, in 2004. 
Got you. What a what an interesting tale. But I want to find out more about Biovac in a moment and your tie-ups, your global tie-ups. Been in the news recently. There's a huge opportunity, of course, for Biovac to be producing vaccines for the future. We'll talk about that with the chief executive at Biovac, Dr. Morena Makwana. More in a moment. The Money Show. Shapeshifters. So, Morena, talk to me about this this rapid evolution that you're about to undertake now in terms of the globalization of Biovac and the tie-ups that you're doing, courtesy of COVID-19. So, so what we announced last week uh, with Pfizer is, um, is a deal where, as you know, Pfizer partnered with a German company called BioNTech last year. BioNTech had this technology called mRNA that I think uh, is now uh, quite well known. Um, In December, it was shown to work. And we've been in discussions with Pfizer to see how we can localize some of the manufacturing. Um, And this is the second deal that we've done uh, with Pfizer, Bruce. So so that, you know, they are an entity that's known to us. Uh, We struck our first partnership in 2015. So it was, um, you know, it, at least we were talking to a company that, you know, that we were were very familiar with. So what it entails is that, uh, you know, a lot of this year will be doing some modification in our facilities to accommodate this particular technology. We'll be undergoing a tech transfer, which is really dealing with a real product before it actually gets to be commercially produced. And this is just to make sure that our, you know, uh, our staff members get familiar, they get taught by Pfizer how to do it. And then we will be starting with what we call fill finish. So we will be getting the raw material uh, and, and we will, you know, doing a lot of complicated process, uh, pulling it in terms of formulation and then filling it into vials and then uh, packing, labeling and and storing it at minus 70 degrees, as you know, as a vaccine gets. <laughs> how are, how is this going to change your operations? I mean, do you need to scale up? Do you need to employ more people? Do you need to build new things? What, what What's it going to look like in the future? No, it will certainly need a lot more activity. I think the fortunate thing about where we are at the moment is that, you know, we are 345 people strong. So there is a foundation that has been laid over many, many years. So at least this is landing on a platform, you know, on, on a base. So yes, we do need to ramp up in terms of the number of people. So we're looking to probably get, you know, uh, not less than 100 uh, uh, additional people. So our staff complement is likely to go over 500 probably in the next 18 months, two years. That's the first thing. Uh, as I said earlier, that we do need to do some facility modification. The game changer for us, um, um, Bruce, is the, the technology and the volume that we'll be doing and exports. I think for us, I mean, that is, that is quite key. It does move the needle. I mean, besides the fact that we'll be uh, participating in, the, in, a, uh, in reducing the pandemic that, you know, that all of ourselves find ourselves in, but I think that is a game changer for us that we'll be doing the latest technology, and we'll be doing exports to African countries. Uh, so that is certainly going to be uh, quite a, you know, quite a significant ramp up uh, from uh, from where we are now. 
And capital-wise, I mean, do you go to government and you say it's time to stump up your share, we'll raise the rest in markets? How do you raise the capital in order for the expansion? Yeah, <laughs> no, I'm sure, I'm sure, as you know, I think government has other big worries <laughs> uh, than funding uh, a biovac. So historically, I mean, we've never gone to government to ask for money uh, as much as, you know, we can do it as like any rights issue would occur. But we've always uh, raised money externally from development finance institutions or others like, as an example, we've been uh, heavily funded by the Industrial Development Corporation, you know, the IDC historically. So even with the additional capex that we'll need to do, we won't be going to government for money. Uh, we'll be raising our own money. But I mean, that's you know, uh, it's not a, it's an amount that I think we can handle. Uh, and it's a, I mean, it's a really exciting time, and as tragic and as awful as COVID nineteen has been, your reason to exist is to help our country and help the continent to fight. You know, to fight viruses, to create the vaccines that you know, solve the problem. It's a great problem-solving opportunity. Absolutely. You know, when I go back, I mean, really, this is this is the reason that BioVac is formed, and we wish that there could be many BioVacs. But it's exactly this uh, boost for us to be able to respond uh, to uh, to such pandemics. I think what the pandemic is doing, and unfortunately, we, you know, we're learning through a crisis, but like anything they say, you mustn't waste a crisis, is that one of the things that we know is missing on the continent, including, uh, you know, what Bivec does not have, is really the ability to manufacture from scratch, you know, what is called API or drug substance. And I think uh, this uh, um, COVID is going to give uh, companies like us and many others the opportunity to you know, to be able to develop uh, vaccines from scratch. Besides Pfizer deal, uh, you know, in June uh, uh, there was also an announcement that we are part of the World Health Organization's uh, hub, and that hub is really going to look at developing mRNA vaccines from scratch. So, besides the Pfizer deal, we are really uh, going to put a lot of effort in not only R and D but putting up even facilities to be able to develop from scratch. So, I think this is something that. Beyond COVID, you know, the capacity needs to exist in South Africa and it needs to exist on the continent. This is not the last pandemic we're going to face. Absolutely not. Our shapeshifter this evening, Dr. Morena Mokwana, Chief Executive at BioVac.